Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I interview Rambling Randy. He has been to 142 countries, and he's been doing it while he's had a full-time job. He's been a responsible person, not like these slacker nomads who just take all this time off and go all over the world like me, you know? And he's also been going to some of the more difficult countries. He's not just going to the nice places. He goes to the places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Venezuela, Libya, Places that are difficult to get a visa for, and they are also, by the way, dangerous. So I respect this guy for having somehow made it happen. It's expensive, it takes time, and it's really hard when you have limited time. But he shows you how it can be done. And thanks to one of my patrons, Kathy Kennedy Edgar, who supports my podcast as well as Health Access Sumbawa. Go to healthaccesssumbawa.com or listen to the podcast about it to learn more. And now, enjoy Rambling Randy. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I have Randy Williams on the show. Welcome, Randy. Hey, it's good to be here. I never pass up a, uh, an opportunity to talk about travel. So you asked me, I said, yes, what time? And you are travel obsessed. You've been to 142. 42 countries. <laughs> yeah. God, <laughs> amazing. Um, so... Wow. Uh, but before we get into, we're going to dive deep into travel. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about your radio show. Tell us a little bit about it, because it's completely not really related to travel, I think. You know, my two loves are, are radio and, and the entertainment industry and, and travel. I started radio when I was 15 years old. I loved to uh, I loved to talk as a kid. And I was the uh, I was the, the kid in class that was always getting in trouble for you know, being in the back of the class trying to make the girls laugh. And, um, you know, when I was a preteen, I kind of found my other love, which was music. And the two collided very fiercely when I realized, wait a minute, there's jobs out there uh, where people can talk and play music and get paid pretty well. And at 13 years old, I decided that I wanted to be in radio. I was lucky enough to start at 15. And by the time I was a junior in high school, I was the full-time uh, night personality at my local uh, hip-hop radio station. And, uh, and and the rest is history, but uh, radio has been a, a, a phenomenal, fantastic career for me, and uh, I just I just love it. Um, uh, currently, I do the afternoon show uh, at a great radio station in San Diego, California, called Magic 92.5, where I'm also the program director. And then I own my own show, which is a syndicated show, and that's a love songs and dedication show that plays... Uh, on about 200 radio stations in 15 countries, mostly the U.S., uh, but every Sunday night, um, it's a love songs and dedication show, so people can call in and uh, request a song and also dedicate to somebody they love, whether that person is near or a thousand miles away. All right, let's go on to travel. Let's talk about your African experiences so far. In your, uh, where have you gone, and what ha- what shocked you when you got to Africa? You know, I haven't done an Africa count, but I think I am. I think I have about two or three trips left, and so I'm, I think I'm close to. F- Forty, maybe. I think I'm in the 30s of of Africa. You know, my my biggest memory of of Africa was the initial trip for me, and how much I've grown as a traveler and as a as a as a human being in both mind and heart. Um, I was, you know, it's so weird because there are 
there's spectrums, you know, we talked about in radio, there's spectrums of, of, of salaries. There's spectrums of people and the way they travel, meaning, you know, there are, I know people that will go couch surfing in Libya. Uh, I know other people that are afraid to cross the border uh, into Mexico to eat lobster because they think they're going to be kidnapped. I think everyone's on a spectrum of, of how, how much fear they have and how, how adventurous they are. And for me, my first trip to Africa, I was actually scared. And um, I think I went into Africa the right way. I started in Cape Verde. So my very first trip into Africa was, was a direct flight from Brazil, which is, by the way, this is fun to talk about because I'm an I'm a aviation and, and geography geek. I think most of us are, right? Um, do you know there's a direct flight from Brazil to Africa that's only about three hours and 15 minutes? It's incredible how close the two continents are together when you look at them you know, tip to tip. So I left, I left Recife, Brazil, which is the easternmost part of Brazil, Recife, to the westernmost point of Africa, which is Cape Verde. So I landed in, in Cabo Verde about three or four years ago, and that was my very first taste of Africa. And that was nice because I call Cape Verde Africa light. I mean, right? I mean, it's yeah. really, it's an island. Yeah, I, I call it Africa for beginners. Exactly. So to me, that was actually a nice kind of Okay, put my toe in. But then from from uh, from Cape Verde, obviously, I went to Dakar, Senegal, on that same trip, and I remember just kind of what a different person I was, you know. And I'd grown up as a young man uh, during nine eleven, pre and post nine eleven, you know. Listen to a lot of talk radio. I'm okay to to tell people that at the time, I mean, I was really afraid of Muslims and Islam. For me, it was it was very scary, and for me, it was you know almost I didn't really know any Muslims, and kind of every time I. Everything I knew about the religion from from movies and from the news, it was usually a, a negative connotation. So, you know, my little quick story on, on Africa was when I arrived in Senegal, I was scared. And I saw, you know, just all these guys in robes and, and, the, and the, the skull caps. And um, I made the mistake of, of getting a budget hotel. So my hotel in Dakar was on this, you know, I arrived, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock at night. So it was already pitch black. And my hotel was in a really dark alley. And I checked in, and the you know the guy wasn't very communicative. Again, this all would have been different if I. And, and by the way, they, you don't speak French, I imagine. Not a, not a lick, and, and right. I think it would have been different if I would have checked in the you know even if I would have checked into the Holiday Inn or the uh, or the Sheraton or the Marriott. But everything just kind of added up. So I'm in this cab going down the street, thinking they're going to kidnap me. I arrive at this dark alley, this tiny little seedy hotel. You know, looks like it's a hotel out of you know out of a a, a, a bad you know movie. I'm literally in my hotel room looking for exit routes in case Al-Shabaab breaks in and tries to kidnap me. I'm literally just scared. I'm like, what did I do? This is, a, by the way, the very beginning of my kind of travel career. I jumped headfirst into it. And I'm like, gosh, this, maybe I should, maybe I should, this is the wrong thing for me to do. And I remember being very hungry. And someone told me that across the street there was a good restaurant. So I got dressed. And again, it was about 10 o'clock at night. And I walk outside and there's just, there's, there's a couple of shady characters walking by. I'm like, this is how I'm going to die. And there's this, there's this building across the street. It's completely dark. I don't even remember a sign, no windows, just a door. And I, you know, I, I, I scurry across like a cockroach in the night to the door. I open the door, I walk in and all of a sudden I walk in and I'm in the most beautiful restaurant. There's a cover band singing, uh, Justin Bieber songs and there's, I think it was a Lebanese-owned restaurant, and there were people of all different colors there having a birthday and fruity drinks, and there were Christmas lights all over the place. It was, what I'm saying, it was a fantastic place. I had a great meal, and I just breathed a sigh of relief and kind of uh, just told myself, dude, relax. And of course, the next day, the sun rose, 
And that was the very beginning of my love affair with Africa. And I had a great tour. And I saw 14 countries on that on that first trip, including Libya. Talk, you know, talk about going in head first. And right. um, and now I can't get enough of Africa. I'm 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 looking forward to finishing it and and returning in December. Yeah, and the other thing that probably surprised you, or maybe it didn't, but when your first Muslim country happens to be a black Muslim country, because often in the media we just see Muslims as being Arabs or kind of tan-skinned people. We rarely see black-skinned or dark-skinned Muslims. And so that probably also threw you for a loop, maybe. You know, it's amazing. It did. And I, you know, I just, maybe I didn't pay attention in geography as much as I should or do enough reading as much as I should. But, you know, one of the things that, yeah, that really surprised me is how many, how many French and Muslim countries there are. And really, you know, how, again, I just, I was never a history major, which is kind of neat because experiencing these things firsthand versus in a classroom and a book to me is, is better. And so seeing how many African countries you know, were colonized by the French. To me, still amazes me. Like, wow, how how do they do all that? And then, if, yeah. and, and, and and Islam as well. And I'm really curious. I mean, I would, I, I, I mean, to to be around at that time. You know, when both religion and and colonization, you know, takes over entire, you know, huge regions of Africa. Um, just it just fascinates me, and it's it's something on my list to learn more about. Whether it's it's you know another it's reading or or taking a class in this, it it, it fascinates me greatly. Absolutely. What about your experience in Libya? You were you there pre or post Gaddafi's death? I was I was post, and I was told by um, the very famous tour group that pretty much almost everybody that goes to Libya used sure was travel. I was told by them that I was the first tourist after the war, and I I I'm not saying this to get any credit. I'm saying this just because as a fun fact. Um, I'm excited that it, it looks like, at least they told me, that I kind of helped open tourism up for Libya because, um, I, again, according to them, I was the first tourist to come in on a business visa after the war. And, and you know, I told one person and that one person told two people and it just kind of spidered out. And now, you know, everyone I see going to Libya uses this uh, uses this, this tour, tourism agency. Um, and it was, uh, it was one of my early trips. Like I said, I, I, I jumped into Africa head first. I think a flight had got canceled or something and I needed a new way to get home. And I, you know what, now I remember what it was. I, I was going home through Tunisia and it's tough for me to be somewhere like Tunisia when you see that a, another country is so close. It's right there. You right. have to, right. You're, you're right there. You have to go, right? How can you not go when you're right there? And, uh, I, you know, this was five years ago and I, I, uh, three or four, maybe four years ago. And I, 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 I jumped online and I found this one tour guide that said, yeah, I'll take you. And, uh, it was, it was a tough visa to get, but I did. And, uh, it was phenomenal. I, one of my favorite trips, also one of my scariest. It was probably the first quote unquote scary place that I went to. And I was really super nervous about going. Then you go and you realize that, you know what, regular life happens in these places. And then from there, I went places like Iraq and Venezuela. And I don't know if this is good or bad, but, you know, I went to Afghanistan two weeks ago and I wasn't nervous at all. I didn't bat an eye at it. I think the more of these kind of um, quote unquote crazy countries you go to and you realize, you know what, you know, it's just kind of regular life there as long as you're with somebody you trust. Uh, it gets easier and easier, but I don't know if that's a false sense of confidence or not. I don't know if that's dangerous for me to be comfortable going to Afghanistan, but it's it's been a natural progression. Yeah, Randy, because the same thing happens to me, and I really wish we had a good parallel universe that we could see, because how many trips could you take to Afghanistan or to Libya until something actually happened? You don't know. 
One of my uh, one of my favorite people um, and uh, and journalists. You hear about the journalist in Somalia that uh, that was uh, uh, taken from the uh, terrorist attack. She, she was she was visiting a hotel, and this is somebody that that I knew uh, in person. And up until then, you know, I didn't know anyone who was you know was ever a victim of terrorism. Um, and so you think, well, okay, you just hear about it in the news. You know, no one I know has ever been, you know, a, a, a victim of, of terrorism. Um, and then when it happens to someone you know, um, you know, then you go, oh, wow, maybe it does happen to people I know. Uh, Hodan was her name. And uh, I think last year she was uh, in uh, in Somalia at a beach resort and the place got attacked and she was one of the casualties. My friend in Phoenix. She died. She died. I, it was horrible. I, I couldn't believe it. I, my, she's always on my Twitter feed because I follow her. And then all of a sudden I see the headline that says, you know, journalist killed. And I'm thinking she's writing about somebody killed. And when I saw that, that it was actually Hodan that was that was killed, I sat in my car and cried. I was I was so because I was just getting to know her as a, as a colleague and a friend. And it was heartbreaking. I have a friend in Phoenix whose neighbor was on the Kenya Air Force Base that just got attacked a couple of weeks ago by uh i think by al-shabaab um and and he was gone so now there's like two people kind of close in my circle which makes me a little nervous right i'm i've been reading a lot of military books late recently and i guess some of the military men go the same some things happen like that that they're similar they might do several tours of afghanistan nothing happens nothing happens and suddenly some of their colleagues die and they realize shit that could have been me you know i think i think it's a game of chance it really is but that's the frustrating thing is you just don't know how how what how close you are to that. So when you went to Tunisia, you had already been to Algeria. Uh, so that was a, that was a, my first trip to Africa, and I, I did Algeria in that trip as well. Um, I, I I actually landed in Tunisia and missed my missed my flight to Libya that night. They the plane literally left early. It was a tight connection. They wouldn't let me transfer. I had because I didn't have a boarding pass. I had to exit security and come back in. Either way, everything kind of added up and I missed my my flight to uh to Tripoli. So I was thinking, okay, maybe maybe it's uh, all these signs are happening. Maybe maybe I just shouldn't go. Also, earlier that week, there was an air, uh there was a um uh, a hijacking of a Libyan airliner that same week. So all of these things are kind of telling me, you know, maybe you shouldn't go. So I land in Tunisia, I miss the flight. So I have to stay in Tunisia that night. Um I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just stay in Tunisia, enjoy myself, and you know, go home in three days. But I, I said, nope, I got, I'm, I'm here. I have to see Libya. I woke up early the next morning, headed to the airport, was able to buy a cash ticket and go to Tripoli uh, early that morning, and I, I kind of saved the trip. Uh, I took some time away from Tunisia, so I need to go back to Tunisia. I literally only saw the, uh, the Sheraton in Tunisia. That's it because of the, the, the missed flight. But, uh, but yeah, that trip was, uh, was Al- Algeria, Tunisia, Mauritania. Um, Libya and a, a whole bunch of West African countries. It was amazing. But but even if you had made that flight, then you definitely wouldn't have seen anything of Tunisia, right? No, because no, no, because I planned on coming back. It was it was weird. I planned on coming back. Oh. I had an extra day in Tunisia. I mean, that one thing just screwed it all up. I, I ended oh, I, I, I ended up throwing I ended up throwing my back out the morning I left Libya. So by the time I got to Tunisia, I'm just I want a hot shower, and I think my my flight was in like seven hours, so I just went straight to the airport. So Tunisia definitely needs a revisit. Got it. Okay. And so, and you had come to Tunisia via Algiers and Algeria, correct? Ex- I, I believe so. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Okay. So then you went there and then to get the visa for Libya, you just went to, do you remember the name of the agency or you don't? Uh, the agency was Sherwood. Well, Sherwood is a travel agency, S-H-E-R-W-E-S. 
And uh, they have to do a lot of work on their end with the foreign ministry. It was definitely one of the most uh, complicated visas I've ever gotten. Once you get permission and authorization, then you have to you have to do some footwork on your end um, in in the United States, and I think work with uh, either DC or or New York. Did you get that visa before you left America? Oh yeah, no, no, I got it all before. Yeah, I had it. Had oh, it before. okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, because when I was in Tunisia, I was trying to get my visa. Because I was stuck in Africa for five years and I couldn't ever come back to the United States during that. I didn't have to. It's like I decided not to come back to the United States. So whenever they told me you have to get your visas from Washington, D.C., I'd be like, no, I can't. And so I want to take a bus across Libya from, from Tunisia all the way to Egypt. But the problem was at that time. So there was like a window, and I don't know if you were there during that window or you you started, it sounds like you started that window when tourism kind of like opened up. It was like about a year period after Gaddafi died, and then and then things kind of got turned for the worse again, and that's kind of how they are, I think, even today in 2020. But so maybe, but there, when I was there, it was, there was still roadblocks and there was still some fighting going on. It had like, it, like a renaissance came back and like it was another wave of violence. No, that, that was, I believe that was the time. It was still happening. I was monitoring things on, on Twitter and they were, I mean, literally like the week before I was leaving, there were still explosions and I was actually, okay. I was actually talking. We were probably going the same time. The only difference is that I was like, I didn't want to just go to Tripoli. I wanted to cross. And so I was like, either a Tripoli or not. But what I, but I had earlier done is I had gone through Southern Libya um, via Chad, and I'd climbed the tallest mountain in Libya, which is down in the Sahara. But I didn't get to see any of the coastline or, uh, up northern Libya where everybody lives. <laughs> I only saw the uninhabited part of Libya way down in the Sahara, uh, the southern Sahara. But that's another story. Tell me a little bit about your visas to get to Afghanistan. Was that relatively easy? You know, thank goodness it was. Um, and, and, you know, kind of the way I travel, because I work full time, I travel really, really, really quick. So, I wish I had time to, you know, set up camp in 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 a capital like uh, like like Tunis and apply for my next visa. But sadly, it's you know, hey, I've got you know one or two or you know three or four days at the most. Um, so I have to get for me the way I do it is I just I have to get all visas in advance. Uh, luckily for me, the Afghan visa went out without a hitch. I've had friends that that have told me they've had really big problems with with the embassy in the U.S. just not moving. Uh, but it worked for me, so uh, there were no there were no hitches at all. Um, they uh, they do some work on the Afghanistan side, you know, kind of close to what they did in Libya. They have to register with the uh, the uh, foreign affairs, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Afghanistan, get the authorization, send you a letter, etc. For Afghanistan, uh, on my end, it was probably more paperwork than I've ever had to send in. I've had to send in the invitation, the clearance form from the police there. Uh, I had to get a, this was weird, I had to get a note from my doctor saying I didn't have Ebola or any other communicable diseases. Uh, I had to have a letter for, this was interesting too, a letter from my employer that said that uh, that I would be responsible for my, my, own, my own self while I was there and that my employer had given me permission to be a tourist in Afghanistan. So a bunch of little weird things, but it just, you know, took a little extra time. Uh, put it all together, and I believe it took about three weeks, and I did use a visa service in uh, in D.C., and, uh, you know, they, you know, you walk your visa in, walk all your documents in, and uh, they kept pushing back the date. They gave me, a, like, a preliminary date of, like, you know, 10 days, and I kept checking the website as it came closer and closer, and the date got, you know, kept getting pushed back. So I was getting kind of nervous, but uh, but it did finally happen, and they didn't even you know need any other documentation or any questions. It just took about three weeks. I'll tell you my 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 interesting 
I guess, fun fact I tell people that don't travel like you and I is I say it's really interesting that the countries, and I really speak of a lot of African countries as well, but the countries that most people have no desire to visit at all, those countries make it the hardest to get in. I think it's so funny, you know. The, yes, the, 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 <laughs> it is so true. It's like there's an inverse correlation. Completely. With how, yeah. <laughs> like how hard a country is to get into and how desirable it is. It's yes. Like, I don't know. So, so, but, but I mean, that's what separates travelers that really, really, truly want to travel because, you know, anybody that I know, even if they wanted to go to Afghanistan, even if they said, you know what, that looks pretty. I'd like to, I'd like to see some of the culture there. Once they realize the hoops that they would have to jump through, they'd say, forget it. I'm just going to go to Bermuda, you know, this summer. Yeah. So of course. Yeah. And it is fascinating. It just makes, it's totally paradoxical that you would think that I remember Seychelles is the only African country that doesn't require a visa for anybody, not for any African. Interesting. And Seychelles is a paradise. Right. <laughs> but if you want to go to, I don't know, Chad or Somalia or, or Libya, it's just like you got to go through all sorts of hoops or like South Sudan, for God's sakes. You know, exactly. Like, these are all really hard countries to get visas for. I remember from my Nigerian visa. Now, they've changed policies recently, but... I got three Nigerian visas because I went there three different times. But the third time, it took me over two months or no, sorry, two or three months, something like that. It was crazy. And uh, anyway, so the, it is it is paradoxical, completely paradoxical. So when you went to Afghanistan, um, you went into Kabul. Yeah, and real quick, after Afghanistan, remind me, I have to tell you about my Nigerian visa story because it was a funny one. But yes, Afghanistan was was Kabul. Um, it was uh, I had. Uh, let's see, originally three days there, the airline canceled a flight or moved a flight. So I ended up only having about uh, one full day, like a day and a half there. So uh, so sadly, I didn't get to spend a lot of time there. I had literally a, maybe a two-hour tour of the city, which I loved. And then the second day was a full day. We spent about eight hours in the car going to Panjshir Valley uh, to see Masood's tomb and driving back. Um, I wish I didn't have to do that just because I had, not that it wasn't a beautiful drive, but 18 flights in three weeks, I was exhausted. This was the very end of the trip. And when I realized I would have to be in a car for eight hours in one day, um, I was a little cranky towards the end of my trip. So I would have rather explore the city. I, I love city life. And as much as I like nature, it was such a gorgeous trip out there, but I can see nature in Yosemite. I really I really get a high off of seeing everyday city life. So, for example, just leaving the airport in Kabul, going to uh, our guest house, just passing like the stands on the side of the road that were selling goldfish and had these giant bags of water with these big goldfish and seeing these uh, seeing these kids with with giant piles of apples making fresh apple juice or 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 kids on the the median of the uh, of the intersection selling balloons that say I love you like those little scenes right there were like wow like I love that so I wish I had more time on the ground in the city in Kabul to really enjoy and and take in and even even talk to people and meet people and I I didn't get that chance um and I I was really bummed out about it but at the end of the day the fact that I was safe and got home in one piece is really all you can wish for that's true. And now when you went there, it sounds like you had some other people around. Um, were there, where were they from other Western countries? It was supposed to be a, actually it was supposed to be a private tour. And um, I actually, I didn't love my tour company uh, that much. I, so I would not recommend them, but um, it, there was, why not? What was wrong with them? Um, well, it was supposed to be a private tour and uh, there was one other guy with me, which turned out to be a nice guy. I, I didn't mind, but um, you know, the guide cut, uh, cut the day short 
Um, you know, like I said, the, the first day, I think we started the city tour maybe around one or 2 PM and we were back by 4 PM and it was, you know, we still had another, you know, 90 minutes of light. And, um, you know, he said, we were going to stay out until five and just took us back earlier. And, mm. uh, you know, there were times where I was, you know, in the, in the back seat of a car in the, in the middle seat without a seat belt, little things like that. And you pay a lot of money for these tours. So, you know, nothing that, uh, nothing that I even feel about emailing them and complaining about just, you know, I've been on enough tours to know, you know, the guides that really, really take care of you and then the guides that are just, you know, in a hurry to get home. So, right. you know, it is what it is. I, I still tipped him. He was a nice enough guy. Um, How did you find him on the internet? Yeah, it was a recommendation from, from a friend. Um, okay. And I was honestly, I was I was really most concerned about a, 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 a an outfit that could get my visa, could get it done on the ground. And uh, as far as that went, these guys were great. So again, I'm not angry or, or, or salty about it. I just, I if... If you would say, do you recommend him? I'd probably, yeah, no, you might want to look around. Did you see any other central, did you get to go to Pakistan or any other places nearby there? I did. So this last trip was December. It was nine countries. It was uh, about 25 days. Pretty long trip for someone who works full time. And uh, in order, it was uh, Thailand. I had a 10-hour layover in Thailand. I went into the city and had a, an amazing session at a, a hotel, a spa session. I'd been to Thailand before, so I didn't uh, didn't feel like I was missing out. So, But I had a nice 10-hour spa session to, to ease my jet lag. Uh, I had a couple of days in Laos. Then I went to Myanmar, which was my favorite country of the entire trip. I spent about three or four days there. From Myanmar, I went to Bhutan for five days. Bhutan was incredible. The closed kingdom, if you will. Yeah, they call it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's more, it's open than ever before, but it is, as far as purity, I mean, it, Bhutan had been closed off, I mean, completely closed off from the world uh, until the 1960s. So going to Bhutan is still like stepping back in time. And that was just an incredible experience. And, you know, there's, there's some, is it true that you can only go there with a tour? Uh, semi true. Yes. Um, it's, uh, Bhutan, the, the, the government of Bhutan charges, I think $250 a day. Uh, and that's, uh, non-negotiable. However, I, I believe that includes your guide and it includes your food and your hotel. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a, not a bad deal. There are definite definite restrictions in Bhutan. I was asking my guide that same question. I'm like, well, can I be by yourself? And he's like, eh, technically. So I think if you really wanted to be by yourself, I think you can probably get get around it. But um, you know, contrary to my guide in Afghanistan, my guide in Bhutan, I consider him a friend now. I mean, they, that was one of the best guides I've ever had in my life. And um, just I, I, I literally feel like he's family. I spent my last night there. I think Christmas Eve, I spent it at his house having dinner with his family. So um, Bhutan was incredible. Um, uh, Kathmandu was next, and I didn't like Kathmandu at all, and I actually left two days early. Um, I had to be in Oman anyway for my stopover on the way to Pakistan. So I went to Oman early, and I pulled a last-minute Yemen trip, completely last-minute, literally um, 12 hours notice. I was I was uh, on WhatsApp emailing some, some uh, texting some fixers. Hey, can you take me to Yemen? So I uh, went over to Oman, uh, flew into Salalah, went to Yemen. Uh, after Yemen, back to Oman. Oh, wait, sorry. So this is, stop there, because just a couple of weeks ago, another good friend of mine, he went to Oman as well as a bunch of other Gulf states, but not to Yemen. And so I'm curious, how did you 
pull that. I'm always fascinated by logistics and that kind of stuff. And I think it helps other travelers too, who want to like stretch themselves a bit. So how did you do that? Did you fly into Yemen or did you take a bus into Yemen? So, so uh, getting into Yemen for an American or for a foreigner has really, really opened up over the past eight months. And, you know, we have, we have trailblazers to thank. I mean, just like um, again, it's not a pat on the back, but I think yeah, I was but just like you did it for Libya. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, so, you know, about a year ago, you know, I, it's, I, I think people like you and I, uh, I can't speak for you, but for me, I'm, I'm obsessed with places that I can't go. Cause it, it's, it goes back to being, right. a, it goes, goes back to being a kid. If you're, if your parents say, Hey, don't open that drawer, you right. want to open that drawer. So, right. you know, Yemen was one of those places extremely tough to get into and looks like about six or eight months ago, uh, and I wish I remembered his name to give him credit, but looks like a guy cracked the case. There were a, they were one or two or three rogue guys that literally um, went to Oman and would drive to the border of Oman and Yemen and literally try to bribe themselves into Yemen. Just, you know... It, 50, mm-hmm. 50 kilometers in, whatever. But, you know, I read stories about them, you know, giving the passport over and, you know, slipping a $100 bill to both the Omani and the Yemeni people and getting turned back. And, you know, one guy was finally successful. Long story short, it's a thing now and it's regulated by the Omani government. So um, for the meantime, uh, it's 100% doable. There are three, from what I gather, there are three trusted guides and they all know each other. Uh, the price, if you want to do kind of the basic lunch tour, is $500, and that includes your your $100 Yemeni visa. And uh, again, right now, at the present, uh, at least for an American, it was pretty easy. Uh, it has to do with first leaving Oman, and before you even leave Oman, you check in at the border, you spend about 45 minutes there. Apparently, the Omani side, the Omani border, calls the capital, calls Muscat, and basically gets clearance. I don't know what the conversation is, but it's probably something like, hey, we've got John Smith. He's American. He is with the guide, you know, Wafi Muhammad Abdul, and uh, they're going to go for lunch to the city of Hof. Then they're going to come back and, uh, you know, can I give them clearance? And next thing you know, they stamp you through. Then you go to the Yemen border and you pay the Yemenis 100 bucks. And you're cruising through uh, the coast, through, uh, you know, cactus and, and ocean on one side and uh, and having lunch and coming back. It was uh, it was incredible. And for such a hard place to get into, uh, usually I plan these things years out. Um, this was literally off the cuff with about 15 hours notice. The main damage it was is simply the $500 that you had to pay cash. Yeah, which was well worth it. Uh, Salala right. is uh, Salala Oman is the city you fly into, which is about two hours north by car. Of Yemen and uh, Salala itself is a cool town to to, uh, to bop around in. I, I liked Oman a lot, uh, so I did Yemen back to Oman, um, then finished my connection over to Pakistan. Uh, I did uh, Karachi, Lahore, and then Islamabad. I actually liked Islamabad a lot. Um, most people don't; they say it's boring, but I, it was a nice break. And then from Islamabad, uh, direct into Kabul, and then back home via Istanbul. And this trip was. The trip that probably physically kicked my butt the most. I was I was very tired. Uh, I'm still re- still recovering. What now? I imagine that Afghanistan uh, was quite cold because you went there in the winter. It was fr- it was freezing, and I had uh, yeah. I had a um, I don't even know the name. I should know the name. I had the typical. I dressed like an Afghan. Jalab- what's it called? Uh, it's Jalabia or something. Like that. I, think, I, I don't, can't remember. The, the hat. Yeah, yeah. The hat's a peacole hat, I think, the wool hat. The hat was really nice, yeah. but basically the the linen or whatever you're wearing, the the, the pants and the, the top are very thin. Oh, I was freezing. 
It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. But it was beautiful. So you were dressed like a local, effectively. 100% local. In fact, when I checked out of my hotel in Islamabad, when I approached the, the hotel desk at the Marriott, <laughs> the uh, the clerk spoke to me in Urdu or, or, Urdu or one of the local languages. And uh, and I said, you know, good morning. I'm checking out. And he kind of jumped. He goes, oh, oh, you're not from here. And I'm like, no. And he goes, you fooled me. And I was so happy. I'm like, yes, I did it. Exactly. So what countries are left for you, Randy, that you that I obviously let me see. You did 142. So you've got about 50 countries to go. Yeah. Yeah. 51 to go. And um you know, I work full time, so you know, I I love it that there's always some debate of of you know what a real traveler is, and does it count if you only go to a capital city for you know for one night? <laughs> um, my my style of travel right now is I'm treating the world like a buffet at a restaurant I've never been to and food I've never eaten, and that this is my analogy. I want to go to that buffet and I want to have a small bite of everything on the buffet. And then make up my mind of what I'm going to come back for for the second serving. And I'm going to get a, a big plate of this and a big plate of that. And I'm going to skip the, 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 the Brussels sprouts. But I'm going to go back and get some, you know, get a, get a big helping of potatoes. That's why I travel fast. Um, so that's why you're saying you don't like Belgium is what you're saying because you don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but I love Belgian waffles, though, so I don't know. Okay. But, and uh, French fries. Yeah. But um, so, so I'm, currently tra- I'm currently traveling really fast. And I'll, I'll tell you, this last, this last trip kicked my butt so much. Um, I'm actually, and this may be counterintuitive, but, but I'm actually going to, to speed things up because, and this sounds horrible, I want to get it over quickly only so I can start to take trips and really relax and really unpack and unwind. So my goal to finish everything was the end of 2022. I've moved that up to the goal of 2021. It's very oh, aggressive. Wow. It's very, aggr- very aggressive. It's very aggressive working full time. I don't know if I can do it, but I've got two or three trips to Africa. I've got um, a lot of the Pacific left and some splotches of of Europe. I'll finish uh, Asia in August, and uh, it's it's amazing. It's like an, it's. So, what is your definition, Randy, of when somebody has a quote unquote visit? You can check. The country off because like in my case i think that when you went to Tun- tunisia i would completely check the t- tunisia off you got out of the airport you 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 roamed around you didn't see as much as you wanted but that to me tunisia counts i definitely checked it out tunisia is a place that i owe it to myself to go back and it's also kind of a hub so uh, but you nibbled at the buffet of tunisia correct <laughs> no look it's is there a check mark on my website yes and when i get to, yeah. i will get to 193 before going back to tunisia and i yes i will count tunisia for me it is it's leaving the airport i give you an example french guiana the only the only thing i could do i could the flights would not allow me to stay overnight there. It's just it was it was either it was either you know nine hours on the ground or like six days or five days. I didn't have that much time. So when I landed in Cayenne, I literally went to went downtown and had lunch, had a wonderful French lunch, and walked around and communicated with people. That was the place where I almost got my ass kicked was in Cayenne. So I mean, I felt like I truly experienced. <laughs> I truly experienced Cayenne. This guy wanted to, wanted to fight me, and so and that was just, why. What what had you done? <laughs> so um, you didn't I, put enough cayenne pepper. I'm you know what's funny. You, you know what's funny about about how things can be deceiving, right? So apparently, apparently, French Guiana. When you look at look at the the State Department warnings, and and you even talk to friends, it's a little it's a little dodgy, right? The capital is a little dodgy. Have you been to French Guiana? No. So the capital is a little dodgy. But what's what's so um, deceptive is. 
Um, it's in South. It's in South America, right? It's in the Amazon, mm-hmm. but it was built by the French. So you're walking through downtown. You're walking through these amazingly beautifully quaint streets with, um, you know, narrow streets and um, uh, little trellises with flowers and the window boxes. And you know, it, it looks like you're in in France. It's gorgeous. And I'm taking my little stroll. And, um, you know, usually bad things happen when no one else is around. The streets were like desolate. There was a storm coming in. I started getting an eerie feeling. Here I am walking down this beautiful little narrow street in French Guiana and just happy-go-lucky. And I stumble upon a pile of belongings in the middle of the street. Now picture this. There's a pile of belongings. There's a, there's a, a stool or a chair that's broken. There's some clothes. There's a radio. Um, there's various other personal items and they're all in a pile and they look damaged. And I look down at it and then I look up at an open window and I have this epiphany. Oh my gosh, this is so old school. Somebody got caught cheating and the wife or the girlfriend threw all of his crap out the window. Like you cheating (laughs) bastard. And I just got a giggle of this and I took out my iPhone and I, I took a couple of pictures like this will be a fun Instagram post, you know. Hey, uh, right. you know, Pierre got caught uh, caught cheating, and his girlfriend threw all of his stuff out. Well, even on the picture that I take, if you look at the picture, you can see someone's real foot in the picture. Apparently, the guy that got thrown out was standing right there, and he oh, was God. he was not happy that I took a picture of his stuff, and I thought it was funny. And he <laughs> starts coming at, "What are you doing?" What, what? And you can t- you can just tell how threatening he was, and he was small enough where I thought I could take him. However, he did have a a, a, a teardrop tattoo under his eye, which is supposedly mean that you've killed somebody. And um, he wanted the rumble, and I didn't know if this guy had a razor blade in his back pocket. And I'm literally like doing everything I can except running away like a pansy. I'm backing up pretty pretty fast and kind of you know trying to disarm the situation. And um, finally, I got around the corner and I just split. And he was saying something like, "I'll find you later." And I'm thinking, <laughs> "I'm thinking, jokes on you because my flight is in two hours." <laughs> exactly. And I just got the heck out of there. But no, he really wanted the scrap, and I'm not going to fight the guy. Especially- that would have been a great time to kill somebody because you could have killed him and then just gotten out of the country, and the authorities would have never known. This is true, but I would have <laughs> not been able to live with myself. <laughs> Those are details, Randy. Uh, so, Randy, we have to get together again and talk about your next uh, trip because uh, I, I want to hear uh, as you close in on the 193 countries, that will be fantastic seminal moment. So let's uh, let's aim for doing it either maybe later this year or, or maybe at the beginning of 2021 as you're closing in on that date, because I want to I'm really excited to you. You've pugnaciously gone after this goal. and I respect you and admire you for having done that. So kudos to you. I really appreciate it. Now, if somebody wants to follow you and see as you close in on these countries, where can they find, find you? you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, the, I appreciate the opportunity. The uh, The website, my blog is ramblinrandy.com. Ramblinrandy, not rambling, but ramblinrandy.com. Uh, Instagram is fun. Instagram is slow jams, S-L-O-W-J-A-M-S. That's kind of a combination between my, my radio and my travel career. So you'll see like... 27 photos of me in random countries and then oh look it's me and taylor swift in the studio uh and then more more travel so um yeah but slow jams on instagram and i love to talk to people and 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 exchange uh, advice and 
you know, I think the travel community is just amazing without them, without people like you, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to go places and get tips and get insider info on going places, you know, to places like Yemen. I, I wouldn't have not right. have been able to do that on my own. So I think the community and the support we give each other is, is phenomenal. Wonderful, Randy. Thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting with you about your the final travels and then you're going to be able to dive deep into your buffet. Safe travels, my friend. Thank you so much. I'll see you at the buffet. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.